you're listening to Public Announcement. I'm Chris Black. And I'm James Ellis. Today, I want to talk about um, hacking, uh, which is something that I believe that you know about. I'm not a real hacker or anything, though. Yeah, but you hack, though. Uh, and I realize that you've been out of the game now for, for quite a long time. But I want to be clear, uh, you were, for a brief period of time, a professional hacker. I was not a professional. Fam, no. you made thousands of dollars from hacking. Uh, you kept a secret from me. You had a secret professional hacking career. It, it was high school. High school. Long time ago. Yeah, but that makes it so much better. That's the classic hacking story. You know what I'm saying? You were uh, yeah. posted up in your bedroom, hacking for multiple weird-looking computers, getting like weird, mysterious checks in the mail. Yeah, that's all true. You know, I think that this is the time for the story to come out, you know, uh, as much as I uh, dislike talking politics, we need to weigh in on the Russian hacking scandal. Oh, right. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between uh, your illustrious spam career and Russia hacking the DNC. So I believe this to be right up your alley. That's also part of my reluctance, though. Like, I'm no cybersecurity expert. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a real hacker. I, I, I would I would never flex like that. No one's saying you're hacking Russian mainframes, but you do have a story about being a first wave spammer and a point of view on phishing, as it's called, which, as I understand it, is how the DNC was hacked. That is, uh, yeah, yeah, that's correct. And let's not fuck around. Your teen spam career story is a JLS greatest hit. <laughs> Number one on the board. <laughs> and I think it's time we aired it out. And along the way, we can do the thing where we connect it to a current event. Well, all right. Well, uh, how do you propose we unpack this? We one? go to the motherfucking source, your secret partner in crime, John Roman. <laughs> I see what you did there. Secret partner. There's the source of contention. Absolutely not. There's no contention. No? No. No? No, it's just a fact, man. Uh, you had a secret high school hacking career with John Roman when we were 16 years old. Yeah, that sounds right. You kept it from me, from all of us, all of your friends, really, but I've never seen it as a betrayal. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you kept it from the rest of us is just a testament to how much of a fucking G you were. Oh, so my ability to keep a dark secret is a, a value add. Yes, right. Like, like you spill secrets sometimes, but only on accident. If you get jammed up, don't mention my name. But you know when like a dude is a government secret agent and his friends and family have no idea, that's you. <laughs> oh, you mean like uh, Arnold in 1994's True Lies. Man, you literally like the worst shit. Like, let's, let, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You've never been a, a black ops agent, you know, repelling from a chopper or anything. Yeah. Though I guess the nerd with a laptop sometimes has to have boots on the ground. Oh, so you chose the wrong movie. You must, you must be thinking of 1996's Mission Impossible, I think. Yeah, damn, that is true. I mean, Ving Rhames changed the game. What was his hacker name in that movie? Uh, the Ghost? <laughs> yeah, or something fucking stupid like Acid Elite. <laughs> I can't remember if Ving Rhames' character had a cool hacker name. This doesn't sound like the Luther Stickle I heard of. What did they used to call you? Let's look it up, bro. I bet it's something fucking hard. The Net Ranger? The Net Ranger. The only man alive who actually hacked NATO Ghostcom. Jesus Christ, that is terrible. Worse than I thought. There was never any physical evidence that I had anything to do with that. I guess you can't nitpick everything the writers come up with, though. With that, that exceptional piece of work. I believe you to be a more nuanced character. You know, you're interested in design, you're interested mm. in music, mm. and the computer stuff was like a, a, a personal thing. You know, half the reason I didn't tell you about my pro-am hacking career was that it wasn't cool like you didn't want to hear about that stuff 
Computer nerd shit is only one step up from being a, a gamer. You know gamers are the fucking worst, so it, I'm happy you dodged that. If I was a gamer, you wouldn't even know me. Then you truly, truly have a dark, <laughs> dark secret. I heard that in South Korea, gamers wear diapers. Oh, I believe it, man. But if you're going to be on the computer all day, at least be hacking the planet. Or your favorite platform, Twitter.com. That's the true cultural work, bro. My mistake. Let's stay on topic, though, because I know that's usually your job, steering the pod. But, you know, I'm taking the fucking reins on this one. Oh, go ahead, by all means. Here's the difference with hacking. This is an important point, so I want the listenership to really focus. I need you to pay attention to me right now. There are three reasons why this isn't like gaming and why I love this kind of story. I think I know where this is going. Number one, you made money. I didn't make that much money. You made enough money, bro. Enough for a good story. So we'll get to dollar amounts shortly, and I know the listenership wants to hear that part, but let, you know, let's keep moving. Okay. The fact that you made money changes the whole fucking scope. There were adults in the world surrendering money to you. People in an ops department having to cut you a physical check. That, that's what makes this so real, man. And not bullshit money. The story is about tens of thousands in the hands of teenagers. Yeah, my first 1099s. So that's number one. Number two, hacking was brand new in the 90s. Computer people had been around or whatever, but the internet was still new. People barely understood what it was, but you did. That's a good point. I, I like knowing about this whole new thing. Really knowing about the internet at that time was like being around for the invention of the printing press or some shit. H how many people can say they were born at the perfect time? Uh, the Beatles with multi-track recording. Mm -hmm, exactly. Steve Jobs and, uh, and Bill Gates with personal computing. Yeah, I mean, I'm afraid your timing wasn't that perfect. My point is that you were on some mysterious new shit, which is always cool. And finally, number three, and this may be the most important, what you were up to spamming, that shit was illegal. It wasn't that illegal. I, I don't think they had laws for that stuff back then. Don't play me or the listenership, dog. It was illegal. Mm. All I ever did was shoplift. I mean, there's other things that I've allegedly done, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You're hard, too. Chris Hard. Black. <laughs> yeah, tell you I am. But that's, that's my point. The shit's hard. As soon as someone fucks with something legitimately illegal, you've crossed over to the other side. Everyone does some illegal shit, though. No, they don't. <laughs> everyone goes five miles over the speed limit, but not everyone is flagrantly running red lights. <laughs> Actually, let, let, me, let me propose this. Let me say it another way. Most humans dip their toe into some kind of benign misdemeanor behavior. Light work. Right, right. What, what's rare is that you profited from something more, um, shall we say, felonious. I see what you mean, yeah. Like, why do you think every rapper boasts about how they get the brick for the lower price? True, true. Why do rock stars do drugs? Right. Why didn't Wesley Snipes pay his fucking taxes? But what, but what if there was some kind of illegal gaming ring? Would gaming be cool then? No, 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 no. I don't care how much fucking money you make. I mean, I agree. I agree, of course. Just wanted to check the rules. Also, as a sidebar, I'm not... Uh... I'm not doing this episode unless you research the legality. No, nah, man, come on, man. The statute of limitations has, has got to have run out by now. You think America Online is going to come find you? <laughs> I mean, I was happy to bullshit today about America on sadness. Uh, I thought maybe that's what we were going to do. But you're the one that wants to get into this. Okay. So well, you, 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 do the, you do the legal research. Is it cool if I just like Google it for a half hour? Will that be enough for you? You've got friends that are lawyers. Just ask one of them. Yeah, Mike does entertainment law, bro. He's <laughs> he's helping people sign large contracts. Uh, he doesn't want to chat about some uh, late 90s cyber crime. <laughs> if I can assure you that the pod won't narc you, can we just carry on? Mm. I'll tell you exactly what I want to do. Here it is. I want to hear about your high school spam career, all that hacking shit. The mainstream media is so hot on hacking right now. I think we owe it to the listenership it's a service we're providing uh right it's it's something we we owe them i y see yes i want to hear from john roman 
your partner in cybercrime, and I want your thoughts on the so-called Russian hacking of the DNC. Uh, anyway, let's stop this thing now, and we can start recording again after I, you know, talk to everyone, suss this out. Wow, look at you putting in work. I'm a serious fucking journalist, dog. You didn't know? You didn't know? <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, also, by the way, I already have all the music mapped out for this episode. Oh, what's up? What yeah, yeah. Let me let me get the player thing. We can move these around in the computer or whatever, but but you know, you you tell me what you think. I want to hear your opinion. All right, cool. Uh, all right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, oh, classic. Cranberry, nineteen ninety three. No, that's my year. Oh man, you know I don't play. You're listening to Public Announcement. I'm James Ellis. And I'm Chris Black. You rock. I'm racking my brain. What's what's the connection to hacking? You'll figure it out. There's more to come. Okay, it's rolling. Do you have updates for me? I have so much to share, uh, but I'd like to start with something uh, more topical. Okay. Uh, In the New York Times today, uh, January 6, 2017, we have the following headline. Was it a 400-pound, 14-year-old hacker or Russia? Here's some of the evidence. <laughs> and what was the last graph? Let me check. Let me check. The best way to read the Times is uh, is headline, last graph, then back to the top. You're such a pro, fam. Okay, the last paragraph is a quote <laughs> from a security research person, and the quote reads, In an interview on Thursday, Phil Burdett, a senior security researcher on the SecureWorks team that observed the phishing campaign, posed the question, Is this the first time a foreign intelligence service has attempted to influence our election through hacking? Or is this just the first time one was caught red-handed? Perfect. See, if that's how they ended the article, that's my cue for what the New York Times really thinks. Because the Times is trying so hard these days to remain, you know, professional. You have to read between the lines a little more than usual. So let's get to this post. They start with a tweet from Teflon Don, where he shits on the idea of Russians hacking the DNC. He even quotes Julian Assange with... A 14-year-old could have hacked Podesta. Young and beautiful and healthy, and that's what we want. Okay. And he follows that up with, why was the DNC so careless? The article goes on about how Podesta gave hackers his password in a phishing scam. That's P-H, phishing. I hate nearly all hacking terminology, especially with all the intentional misspellings. What about journalists intentionally misspelling head, deck, lead? Yeah, I just made fun of you for like 30 seconds ago for saying graph all that shit is for fucking nerds. <laughs> Come on. I'm a nerd, but I, I like I like shop talk. Trade speak. How can you signal that you're, you're in the club? Yeah, I mean, I, I do like that in some ways. I, I guess I just hate the word phishing. Uh, anyway, I, I know this word phishing because I learned it from you in the 1990s. Tell me, Chris Black. How would you define phishing? I'd call it uh, convince a dumb dumb to give you their password. That's bas- that's what it is, right? I mean, let's just break this shit all the way down. Yeah, it's a beautiful summation. Uh, but in the Times Post, they they provide a more detailed definition. Yeah, I mean, they call it spear phishing, which sounds even dumber. Spear phishing, according to the Times, is a term used to describe a type of hack that often uses an official-looking email that includes personal information like a name or photograph, and appears to be sent by a person or business with whom the target is familiar. The email contains an attachment or asks the target to click a link. Now, I don't actually agree with that definition. I think that would leave most people a little confused. Yeah, exactly. What makes it fucking spear phishing instead of just the regular shit? (laughs) It should be called targeted phishing, maybe. Like, usually phishing is when the uh, the elite hack teams 
you know, the, when they spam tons of randos, like just hoping someone will be a dumb dumb and, you know, and, and bite on it. You know, that's how most of this shit works. But a spear phishing campaign is it's where it targets someone in particular or like a particular company. So let's just say that you want to hack the public announcement global headquarters in New York City. <laughs> right. You'd send what looks like a legitimate email to one of us or someone on the public announcement staff with uh, with something that looks official enough to, to fool us into clicking a link that does something nasty or maybe installs some sort of malware prog. So, but why does it look legitimate? I mean, how are you going to fool me, motherfucker? I work here. I'll give you an example. Remember, um, do you remember when we were doing all that work with Forbes and, and they got hacked? Yeah, I, I do. That was a bad one. Like, fucked up the website for a while. Yeah, and really the whole corporate network. Like, all work stopped for what seemed like a week. Did it mess up your work or athletics? Nah, nobody's ever hacked this planet, bro. Nobody's ever hacked this planet, bro. <laughs> What I found interesting about the Forbes hack was how they got in, though. Um, former Forbes staffer Andy Greenberg had a good post on it at the time explaining how the Syrian Electronic Army got them. Hell yes, the Syrian Electronic Army? That sounds hard. Let me guess, let me guess. Forbes fell victim to a spear phishing campaign. All because someone at Vice Media had already been hacked. Oh, okay. So, And they emailed someone at Forbes from a legit Vice email address. It's actually even more clever than that. Like, let me read a bit from Andy's 2014 piece. Early Thursday morning, a Forbes senior executive was woken up by a call from her assistant saying that she'd be working from home due to a forecast predicting the snowiest day of the year. When she ended the call, the executive saw in her BlackBerry that she had just received a bluntly worded email that seemed to have been sent by a reporter at Vice Media asking her to comment on a Reuters story linked in the message. Do you know who it was? The Forbes executive? Oh, I, I, I couldn't remember the, the person's <laughs> name on the, on the pod. Uh, doesn't matter. Though. This sort of thing happens to everyone. The, the story continues, though. Any other time, she says, and when they're saying she, they're talking about the executive, she would have waited to read the story later at the Forbes office. But with the sale of the company pending, she was on alert for news. So groggily stepping out of bed, she grabbed her iPad, opened her email in the Forbes webmail page. So the webmail page is like where your corporate email uh, lets you log in through a web browser. It's different than gmail.com. Exactly. So. I don't know. She, she, keep talking. This is, this is gibberish to me. In her half-asleep state, she was prompted for her webmail credentials and entered them thinking her access to the page had timed out. Like, like oh, I've just been logged out of Gmail. Let me put my password back in. Whatever. Then when the link led to a broken URL on the Reuters website, she got dressed and began her snowy commute from Brooklyn to Manhattan without a second thought. It was so insidious, she says. I didn't know I had been hacked for another two hours. Damn, that's pretty good, man. The electronic army was not fucking around. What did uh, what did Forbes end up doing? How'd they handle it? This uh, post from Andy like really goes through like all the gnarly details. Like, oh, it was like war. Like they're having to chase these people out of the servers. It was, it was nuts. In the post, though, he kind of goes on and talks about the Syrian electronic army fucking up the website, causing a bunch of trouble. They steal everyone's user credentials, the whole thing, and then they were like briefly offering to sell all the data before leaking it all online. Now, if you compare that with what happened to the DNC, it's, it's basically the same thing. Hackers targeted the DNC specifically just as they had gone out of their way to get Forbes by mimicking Forbes's webmail interface. Like, that's pretty smart. Even a genius like me could be fooled by something like that. Yeah, and you uh, you actually know about the dark arts. Mm, only because of you, though. Uh, normally, I don't think I would read something uh, about hacking, 
that's kind of boring to me, uh, unless there's some good gossip like the Sony hack. You oh, know? of course. Uh, but the word phishing grabbed me because, as I understand it, uh, that was the key tool to your teenage spam career. It was. Fishing was the key, and this was just regular fishing, right? No, no spear needed. No spear. We we weren't targeting anyone in particular. Just pure fishing. Just throwing <laughs> your line out. <laughs> Ultimately, it's the same trick being used 18 years later to take down the chairman of Hillary's presidential campaign. You know, I think it's time to explain who we is. Uh, the people need to hear from John, your hacking partner. Let's get it. He should be. Uh, he should be ready to go on Skype. Uh, before we. If you talk to John, I think I need to play another song. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's number two? This song. This song. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter. He's perfect. And make believe it came from you. <laughs> I'm gonna write words so, so sweet. They're gonna knock me off of my feet. A lot of kisses on the bottom I'll be glad I got them I'm gonna smile and say I hope you're feeling better <laughs> I'll close with love the way you do I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter this is a good fit but what what's it to do with the cranberries yo stop talking you're gonna you'll figure it out eventually all right well let me at least get john up hold on i'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and i'm gonna make believe it came from you John. My name is John Roman. I went to school with both Chris Black and Jay Ellis, and we decided that we needed to talk about this. <laughs> uh, okay, perfect. Let's just get this going with the only question that I give a shit about, really, is how much money did you make in 1999? Um, in 1999, I made $40,000 over, <laughs> uh, I, think, I think, three months. Great. It's a lot no, of money. It's a, no, it's a lot. It's a lot of money. How old were you? Sixteen or se just turned seventeen. Yeah, so you were seventeen years old and you made forty k in three months. Yeah, it was insane. S Sadly, I only made five thousand dollars that summer. Still though, both are a lot of cash for a kid with uh with zero bills. Oh, a hundred percent. Maybe three four years ago, uh, my dad came. He lives in Texas, but he came to visit me and he brought me this little uh, Manila like business folder and had my bank statements from a uh, Rockdale Citizen Bank or like some credit union like <laughs> like it was this local bank and it was it was all of the statements of just deposit, 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 deposit. <laughs> and then every few months there was uh, the questionable. I'm clearly a 17 year old I'll withdraw for um, purchasing something that, you know, I would never do today, but that just made sense, like uh, JL Audio W3s, so I could have that bass, because clearly that was very important. I think we need to be clear, though, who who paid you that money? Who was paying you guys this money? 
the main payer of, I'd say, 90% of my funds was DirtyDarlings.net. Um, <laughs> what a great name. Dirty Darlings. They're not even tiptoeing around it. No, they're not. We brought them traffic and they paid us either by unique click or uh, a percentage of the monthly subscription they were charging for their premium adult content. <laughs> Dirty Darlings was not my okay, uh, okay. site of choice. I, I, I preferred working with sexillustrated.com. Sex Illustrated was the way to go because they were an umbrella of many titles similar to Sex Illustrated. Um, they were really one of the uh, the front runners in the porn industry. Founding fathers, I, I, would, I would let's give them all yeah. the credit they deserve. Founding stepfathers. Yes. So I think we need to get into the you know mechanicals of it a little bit so people understand what you guys were actually doing. Right. My basic understanding is a guy who didn't do this nor has much of a comprehension for it. Sure. You guys would send spam to thousands of recipients via America Online AOL. Correct. And then a percentage of those would click the link. And then it would bounce them to a temporary website that you guys had set up. Is that is that how it worked? Exactly. Yeah. So back then, the thing was, is, you know, you just called it spam. That's what we know it as. But it wasn't spam yet because no one knew what spam was. If you got an email from someone, it had to be either important business email or a, a family or, or friend. People just didn't send you random email. You didn't, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. you didn't get something in your inbox unless... There was a reason you got it. So <laughs> if you got an email, you opened it up. You didn't like say, oh, what is this? You weren't getting hundreds a day like you do now. Right. So you would be almost excited to open an email because you, you thought it was something important or necessary. If you had the analytic tools that we have now, I'm sure it was like a 99% open rate. And it will let you know you've got mail. They said, hey, there's something in there. Go look at it. So but you guys were creating like temporary sites, right? Right. When Chris and I were talking about this and I was trying to explain this bit, I, I think I was having a little trouble, but I think really it all comes down to the porn companies knowing that they were fostering a community of, of spammers, but they needed some level of like plausible deniability. They, they wanted to be able to say that they did not support spam when everyone that was working with them knew that that just wasn't true. And so like the way those referral programs worked was that they needed to see that anyone that you sent to their site to sign up for Sex Illustrated or Dirty Darlings or whatever, they needed to see that they came from some other website, not directly from an email. So they could say, oh, it was referred by this mm, other site. Okay. It, oh, it's, it's this other site. Didn't matter that it was a completely temporary site. They knew that what we were doing and they were choosing to kind of look the other way. And they basically spelled it out for us. It's fine as long as the, the traffic originates from somewhere else. And that's all we were doing. We were throwing up these temporary sites from free domains like uh, Angel Fire. And we we're just throwing up a bunch of their banners. The Globe, GeoCities, like all that shit. Another <laughs> thing that I think that's worth mentioning is that the porn companies were giving you an entire toolkit of like HTML, early HTML. Right. And images, like the whole kit, like just upload this file on your server. It was a spammer's toolkit. Like they knew what they were doing. Absolutely. Oh, Sex Illustrated also had Perfect Tens, which was another one of their uh, <laughs> sister sites. Great conversion rates. Great conversion rate. Glad that popped up. Glad, <laughs> glad you didn't forget that one. I remember that Sex Illustrated, like the package that they had, it was like, very well designed. Like, like a graphic designer worked on this. Yeah. Sex Illustrated was my go-to because it was like kind of tasteful. You know, it wasn't like just pure filth. It was like like, like early porn. It was more tasteful. It was before the revolution. Yeah. Right. I think Dirty Darlings was exactly that. It was it was dirty. 
I want to talk some some numbers here. Um, again, that's what I'm really focused on. So, how much were you making per referral? Depending on the 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 site, the company, they had different affiliate, I guess, options. So one of them was twelve cents per unique click. So as long as each site visit from a, was from a different IP address, you would get credit for it. Yeah. And then the other side, which ended up being the more lucrative, um, was a third of the monthly reoccurring revenue. So I think they sold memberships for thirty dollars a month, mm-hmm. and as long as the the end user was a state of customer, you got $10 a month each month they, they remained. That's what you did. I never fucked with that because I was always planning to get out. So I just took all the one-time payments. And I think it was, I think it was $30 per new signup. So that was an option too, it was the one-time $30, but I, I stayed with the, with the first two. How were they paying you? I think it was just bi-weekly payments. Bi-weekly check in the mail from a discreet LLC. And, and how, how were you keeping these checks a secret? I was checking the mailbox all of a sudden. I mean, I was suddenly <laughs> Every day, like... very interested in the mailbox. <laughs> I was definitely trying to keep it a secret. Like I was checking the mailbox, taking the checkout, leaving the mail in the mailbox because I was, you know, mom would become suspect if suddenly I was yeah. like all about the mail. Yeah, of course. That's elaborate. I mean, I, I, yeah, I would, you would have to get the check. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my system. What'd you do? So I came up with uh, with a story, but I was going to say that it was for online dating services. Oh, I see. I could be very transparent with what I was doing to a certain degree. <laughs> oh, like change all the, the details around? It's a dating service, mom. Instead of... Uh... Hardcore extreme porn, uh, <laughs> replace that with Christian dating services or <laughs> um, maybe J-Date. I don't know, something to that extent where it wouldn't be so taboo. Were you really that concerned or were you kind of flying high on adrenaline and, and money making? I was I was concerned, man. I'm always kind of trying to think that way. You didn't get flagrant. And while, while I was high on money making, I had no value of the dollar. I think the difference in it being 4000 40000 or 400000 I just didn't understand. I mean, I knew it was money and money was good, but I, I didn't understand how much that is or isn't. I also want to understand the fishing element, P- with a PH, fishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, uh, <laughs> and what that had to do with the whole thing. It's important to know that it was like early days of AOL, and, and that's just where everyone was. There were other parts of the internet, sure, but everyone used AOL. That's really the whole universe. And you know, the best way to reach all those people was to use another real AOL account. Because if you were caught spamming, you know, if they just saw that too many spam emails were coming from any account, they would just shut it down. And so you had to fish, you had to have these accounts to do it. I think that's accurate. So, so when we first started, you just popped in the AOL CD, typed in some information that didn't even have to be necessarily valid. And you were uh, given the 70 free hours of AOL. Then they started to need a credit card. It, that just became a tougher process of just setting up dummy accounts. Yeah, it became more laborious. Right. So there was that natural progression to um, let's get people's accounts. Yes. And so, it's not like, yeah, I like your I like your choice of words. But let's just get them. yeah. Let's yeah. By get people's accounts. I mean yeah yeah. It's it's stealing. But uh, we were kids, and you're you know you're tricking people into giving you their account information and. The whole thing just had an extra legal quality to it. Keep in mind, you know, that we're just talking to all these other like, weirdo AOL hacker people about all this stuff. My understanding is that this enterprise kind of spawned from your involvement in the AOL chat room scene. So, like, how did you, 
how did you get started with that? And who, I mean, did somebody teach you game? How did you figure this out? It's not like Jay and I had this great idea. Well, we got to get accounts. It was just these private chat rooms on AOL that uh, had all these people that I guess were doing similar things that we were. The uh, the underground. The wares. Um, the wares scene. Yeah. The whereas. Some say, some pronounce it whereas. I don't think it was whereas though. <laughs> I, I think now it has been uh, settled on his wares scene. Yeah, softwares. It makes more sense. But we 100% called it Juarez for sure. Thank you. You know, yeah, it's 100% Juarez, but you and I definitely pronounce it incorrectly every time with confidence, though. Well, there were no podcasts then. There was no one to explain to you that, oh, this is the correct pronunciation. <laughs> you know, we're just reading words on a screen that are intentionally misspelled, trying to come up with our best. And right. Juarez sounded pretty fucking cool. So that was... I think that's what we settled on. <laughs> I think that's how you and I got started in it. We wanted like Adobe Photoshop 4.0 and we didn't want to pay $700 for it. And we somehow got in there and we, we were given Adobe Photoshop and we were given Adobe Illustrator. We were given all these, these high end progs, <laughs> <laughs> progs with a, with a Z at the end, a capital Z. Oh, the, G, the G was lowercase, but the, the Z was capital. This was super interesting to me at the time because there was no way that I could afford any Adobe app. That was so far beyond my reach as a middle school kid that like the idea that there was some weird chat room that you could go in and like type in some incantations and get the software, that was amazing. Like I was sold, like, let's do it. Let's go down the rabbit hole and figure it out. Yeah, I mean, there, there was no, no other way we were going to have access to that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's Conyers, Georgia. No one's parents is going <laughs> to buy them any of this shit. So you guys were just in these chat rooms trading links? Like trading, how was it? How did it go? Like, how did you physically get the program? They had servers set up where it, it, it was a server in, in the sense. like Yeah, they were called servers, but that's a little misleading. Like, they, they were chat bots, little bots that would participate in AOL chat rooms you know, just, just working to distribute software. Someone would come into the room and they would say, type uh, backslash full list. And if you do that, you got an email sent to you of the list of all the software they had. And then you'd go back to the chat room and you'd, you'd type the command slash send and you'd either put the number or the program. And within a few minutes, they forwarded you maybe... Uh, six seven eight emails each with a zip file in there it wasn't even zip files man rar files r-a-r -R. oh it was rar <laughs> files yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't a zip you're right it wasn't WinZip. it was uh rar files <laughs> good memory man <laughs> these files were they were just actual attachments there wasn't like oh here's a link to the file on some other server it was in attachments and so it was all bound by the limits of how much you could attach to an aol email right so you had to get all these like smaller files like tons of them like it might be 30 files 30 rar files that you'd have to download and it would take forever you'd have to download them for a week Long ago, and then uncompress them unrar them well, I'm, not, I'm not even sure uh, what that would be called but it, you had to decompress them back into some kind of original binary and then you could you could install your stolen copy of whatever Jay, that's what got you and I like started in this, and somehow along the lines, Remember we slipped down the uh, slippery slope of utter darkness, the dark internet. And I think the next thing we had was the AOL Progs. Progs, <laughs> with a Z. Remember 
like AOL when Hell. AOL Hell. Real wild boy. I even know AOL Hell. It was some like real wild boy on the internet shit, like lawless, strange. No one even knows what the hell this is. Causing trouble, like early, like the birth of trolls is what we're talking about. <laughs> it, it is. Close your eyes and you can see. AO Hell is like you can like draw a straight line from from AO Hell to like all the rest of this stuff in my mind. Remember. hundred percent. I mean, the tools were purely just to to create havoc. There was instant message bomb where you would type someone's username. And it would send them so many instant messages that they're uh, they're sturdy 386. Ooh, 386 heavy computing. 33 megahertz processor would just stop working, and you'd crash their computer. Life is never as it seems. You may not remember this, but um, the Prague's author, the author of AOL, was Decrotic. <laughs> How could you forget the legend? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the uh, the godfather of script kitties. Yeah. He was amazing. You couldn't do anything. It's just, you just did this shit for fun. Like, you weren't doing anything. Like, there wasn't anything. You weren't gaining anything from it. You were just fucking with people. Correct. You could pretend to be Steve Case. Mm. Do you remember that one? <laughs> yes. A Steve Case cloak. Cloak? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, that's just funny. Like, the idea of someone writing a program just to let weird teenagers pretend to be Steve Case. It's <laughs> funny. We weren't productive. Most of it was, like, of little consequence. Yeah. Remember. There were so many little hacker crews making you know, janky little Visual Basic programs that sat on top of AOL and allowed you to get into all kinds of mischief. Um, AOL was one of the first, but quickly tons of apps were being distributed that started leading everyone further down the, the rabbit hole of digital lawlessness. Would you say that AOL was the gateway drug of hacking? Is that how you would describe it? <laughs> Totally. Yeah, that's that started it. <laughs> yeah, and phishing was the uh, the heroin, I think, because like with the phished accounts, you could go nuts, and you didn't have to worry about getting in trouble. It wasn't like you're gonna have to talk to your mom and dad about why the family's AOL account has been terminated. You know, <laughs> you could just do whatever you wanted because it was just abstract. It was someone else's problem or whatever. You know. In you guys' uh, relationship, um, who took the first step? I don't. I don't remember, do you, Jeff? I believe it was John. I think it was John. You were, you were quick to answer that. You, were, I think you demonstrated the concept to me, showed me like how all the puzzle pieces came together, and I was spooked, but I wanted the money. I wanted in, you know? I probably came over with two uh, three-by-five floppies one night. One probably had the Anarchist cookbook on it, and the other one probably had uh, all the spamming software. <laughs> Just what more does a man need on his floppies, you know? Well, that was all you needed to... Uh, to become a first wave spammer we should just go through the process you know step by step how you would do it well to to get started in spamming at least back then on on aol the first step was acquiring fished accounts like you needed aol accounts to to really spam with 
So at first we're spamming, but it's called phishing because instead of pushing porn, we're just trying to fool people into, into handing over their account password. The email would, you know, would read um, like, Hey Chris, thanks for being an America Online customer. Today, uh, moments ago when you logged on, we had a slight issue with your password information. Please click here to ensure that we have your correct password on file. And if you don't click here, your account's going to be permanently disabled in five minutes. <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember that. Like, I remember getting emails like that. Yeah. yeah. And we had like a little fake site. Person would click, they'd go to the fake site. It looked kind of real. It looked legit enough anyway. And then they'd put in their email password, hit submit. It would go into a database of ours. And then we'd just send them a message like, oh, cool. Everything's good. Thanks. Thanks for taking care of that. Yeah. We're going to hijack your account in probably about 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> so step two, set up your fake sex illustrated lander page, meaning the, the page on, on Angel Fire, GeoCities, whatever, that your, your spam emails would link to. Then step three, you just spam as, as many people as you could using one of the, the post AOL spam progs, which, by the way, had a function allowing you to load in your database of phished accounts. And the thing Jay, that Jay mentioned, you had to be cognizant of was that first step. You had to always, always be fishing because that was the gasoline in the spam engine. A person would click on the link. It would bounce to your fake ass angel fire site. Then they would click on sex illustrated, break out the credit card, sign up. And then once they signed up, you would just get 30 bucks and checks were sent out exactly or in john's case 10 bucks for every month that they were uh, a member yeah i need to i need to to speak in terms i understand let's talk about the first high <laughs> <laughs> the first oh when you first get the fever yeah uh i think that we started fucking with this like toward the end of sophomore year and by that summer we like we knew how it worked we you know we started going very hard like for me, it was like, all right, I got to get as much as I can this summer. I want to do this and then be out. I was working at a graphic design firm at the time. I was like five days a week doing actual design work, which I learned, by the way, using stolen progs from hell yeah from the wares scene, Fuck the from man. the Juarez scene. Fuck the man. Uh, but back at the house, <laughs> I had my machine constantly spamming all day. I had my own phone line. But I remember once it was really cruising, like I would come home from eight hours at this design job where I'd make like. 50 bucks and you know discover that while i was at work i'd made 300 dollars, and that started happening every single day uh that's great that summer that's my first high john john please share the first holy shit moment was when when i received the uh discreet paycheck in the mail from uh from an llc in hawaii that and i think the first check was for like 700 dollars, and i was like holy cow i'm i'm not sure how much money this is but i think it's a lot <laughs> like for for something I kind of enjoy doing. Once you got it running, it, it wasn't like it was you had to stay in front of it. It, it kind of took care of itself. What was the biggest challenge, though? Uh, the just, biggest challenge? Just being chased. Yeah. AOL would disable the phished accounts as soon as they could detect that they were being used for spam. That was tough. It was trying to keep up with that. I mean, and the same thing on the fake site side. So like Angel Fire would detect that you were using their site as a, like a weird spam reflector. 
and you know they would kill the page off so you know you had to get a little smarter about bouncing the spam links around to different locations so if one page was terminated you could reroute to a new place and let me just say this doesn't really sound that bad to be honest well it wasn't the the whole thing felt like such a goofy game especially because aol staff treated it a little like whack-a-mole just disabling the accounts spammers were using but with time the aol team got more advanced mm. I think what happened was that they probably added some level of like programmatic detection. So instead of like waiting for people to report you, they were detecting automatically mm. that you were doing this and they would start killing you off. At the end, it was they literally an account would last 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, it, it, it moved fast. To me, sounds like you guys were killing the game. So what what made you hang it up? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go first because I did stop first. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'd given myself this limit to how much money I'd make. Like I, I knew I was fucking with something dangerous. And as we were going, you could feel the stakes getting higher. You know, AOL is getting better at detecting you. And there was just a moment where I stopped. I, uh, I should explain that when you were using like the spam programs, like the first thing it would do when it logged you in is that it would, it would disable everything. It would disable anything that could slow you down. And the most important was instant messenger. So people could not IM you, but. One day, I remember the machine is running, it's spamming away, and suddenly an IM pops up. And it just says like, hey, how's it going? You know, or something like... Uh, yeah, innocuous, just like a, a regular chatty comment. Yeah, I thought it was just the program, like maybe it bugged and like hadn't turned it off and this was maybe someone's friend trying to yeah, say hello. Yeah, and yeah. John, I remember telling you about it. Yeah, you turned him off. You couldn't receive them. But like another week goes by and it happens again and it's the same kind of thing. You know, just another innocuous like, hey, uh, what, you know, how are you doing? I remember stopping the spam rig and cautiously respond like, oh, you know, nothing much. Like, how about you? Again, I think I'm just talking to some random person. Uh, but then they say, I just wanted to let you know that we've been tracking your location. We know where you are. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Adrenaline is dumped into my bloodstream. Heart starts racing. I jump under the desk, pull the power, and just sat there like quietly freaking out for a few minutes before turning my machine back on, destroying all the evidence. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. That was the end. Yeah, after I got everything backed up and like crawled under the house and hid my CDRs and, you know, bury whatever like evidence of my uh, internet crimes, like uh, I did call you and just explain like, hey, uh, I am out of the game. This is it for me. <laughs> <laughs> John, when you heard from Jay and you heard the story, did you stop? Uh, no, I, I, I chose not to. I felt like if that were the case, they wouldn't have broadcasted it to him. Now, I knew the obvious, that it wasn't going to last forever and that it was the, the end was coming sooner than, than later because we were watching the news. We were, and AOL was putting it on their news feed, discussing it and letting, letting everyone in the world know that, that something heavy was coming to stop spamming. So at that point, uh, the money was continuing and it was, it was going really well. So I had to make a game time decision to go into uh, high school and talk to my counselor and say, I'm in all AP classes right now. If I were to withdraw for the semester, can I come back in January and still graduate on time? Oh, yeah. I remember that now. And they told me yes. So that's, that's what I did. And I went full-blown into spamming for the the next couple of months you kept going you know i hung it up i was i was spooked 
and already pretty pleased with the five grand that I'd made, but uh, you kept going. And it was amazing being an observer, watching the news, hearing the word spam itself become a mainstream term. Seeping into the zeitgeist. (laughs) (laughs) And we were reading that anti-spam laws were coming, which was oddly comforting in a way because it, you know it made you think that maybe maybe the spamming stuff isn't illegal it wasn't i mean i don't think the spam part was obviously the uh stealing people's accounts could be considered questionable um <laughs> but the actual act of of sending an unsolicited email there wasn't anything on the books at the time yeah this was before the can spam act mm. When that finally went through and like AOL on their home screen, their welcome screen, like put a picture of a Lamborghini that they had taken from one of the spammers. That was the moment when I saw that literally that day I said, okay, I'm, uh, I'm no longer interested in this. uh, (laughs) They're taking the Lambos. I got to get out. This is definitely illegal now. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely illegal now. And I sure as hell didn't buy a Lamborghini. I bought a Honda CRV. And it was perfect timing because right when uh, the end of the year was coming, that's when the Lamborghini was confiscated and that's when the spam acts were passed. That was the end and it it just was in perfect timing to to be done and go back to high school and, and act like nothing ever happened. Wow, man. Somewhere. How do you feel about it now? And I guess, do you have any thoughts on on the hacking that's kind of dominating the news today? I I love the experience and and love that it happened because I think, honestly, making that much money in that short amount of times, being so young doing it, and then, for lack of better words, blowing it, it really gave me a better grasp of the value of a dollar. It eliminated me having to go through those hurdles later in life. And uh, the, the last piece... So Jay and I had spoken about this before. I mean, that's that's hacking. Right, right. It's not it's not a whole lot more complicated than that. I think we all have this kind of mindset when we hear hacking and the Russians are hacking us of the hackers movie with Angelina Jolie and a black screen with green text hacking into the mainframe and that definitely exists, but that's not what hacking is the majority of times. What strikes me is that what happened 18 years ago or however long it's been the exact same thing is happening now. You know, these huge stories around 
the DNC being hacked and, you know, John Podesta being hacked. It's not like someone had some amazing bit of code that like cracked open the mainframe and let them in. They just fooled the guy. They tricked him. It's just a human thing. In all these years since, every time I read any story about hacking, I was always amazed that it never seemed to evolve. It was always the same story, the same story that we were a part of. It's all the same. It's fooling people and it's it's just getting them to give their email address or give, give their password. And for whatever reason, no one in our society, unless you've been through it, really grasps that it's not, it's not a room full of... It's not, it's not a room full of hackers under the employ of the Russian government. It's just... It's, it's much simpler than that. It's just a bunch of wild internet creatures that figured out that you don't need to crack the mainframe. You just have to fool people into giving you their password. A hundred, a hundred percent. All right, so we're, we're at the end here, the last question. And, you know, since this is going to be uh, broadcast to our global listenership, I wanted to ask both of you, you know, do your parents and, and your family know this whole story now? No, no, I, I don't think so. Aaron knows, of course, and uh, Cher Ellis knows, probably not all the details, and she definitely didn't learn until after I was an adult. But I think, well, yeah, yeah there's a lot of folks that don't know. What about you, John? I don't think they know it to the full extent. I think they will shortly, though. <laughs> um, That's a fair assessment. I don't think I, I held the story back. I think I filled pieces in. Like, my mom and dad, I've, I've explained to them, like, what I did. It wasn't an hour-long discussion. Sure, we, we, that's what we're here for. I don't think I ever shared the details like the three of us have just gone through. But I'm glad because I think it needs to be documented. Yes, I know. I agree. Trust me. I agree. I pushed. Oh, he definitely pushed for this one. <laughs> A quick note to listenership. I, I know this feels like the end of the show. Uh, here at the 50-minute mark, and indeed it was the end of the show in our in our first cut. But upon playback, I, I realized that we needed one more segment, one more piece of the puzzle, if you will. We needed to talk to the god Cher Ellis, who you may remember from episode three. I just felt like we needed her parenting perspective on this important, important story. Oh shit, man, I forgot to show you uh, what song transitioned into our uh, conversation with Cher. Hit me. I'm still getting a Skype set up here. We're, we're ahead of schedule, so it's, it's fine. Uh, I'm not exactly uh, sure which part we're going to use, but um, it'll start playing as we're finishing with John. You, you hear that? Oh, oh. What is that? What is that? I've, I, I've definitely... You've heard this. A hundred percent. You've heard this a million times. I'll give you a hint in terms that uh, you would understand. 1998. Oh, shit. Oh, oh, oh. I think uh, a true classic. One of, one of the great films. Don't cry, shot girl. F-O-S. Feels very appropriate for sure, Alice. 100% I'll ring her now. F-O-X. Oh, oh. 
Hello. Hello, Ma. Hello, Cher. Hello to you both. Ma, I believe we're all set. It looks like we're recording now. This will be edited, right? Of course, of course. I know you two want to talk about Jay's computer spamming, which makes me nervous. And I have to watch what I say publicly when I get to thinking about Jay at that age. Oh, I, I totally understand. But that goes for both of you, honestly. Chris, weren't you into stealing refrigerators or something? <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> it, it wasn't refrigerators. It was... It look, was... look, look, look. That's not why we're here today. Let's focus, guys. <laughs> Cher, I, I do have a few questions for you. All right. Shoot. Well, number one... What did you think your son was doing uh, with a room full of expensive computers and his uh, his own personal phone line? <laughs> uh, did I know he was sending computer spam? Is that the question? Yes, it is. Exactly. <laughs> I had no idea. I was just glad he wasn't tying up the phone line. <laughs> right. That's for the computers. He bought all that stuff himself, so I didn't think much of it. So you, you never thought, like, how did he, how could he afford all this expensive gear? Well, how is anyone supposed to know what's expensive? It was just computer stuff. <laughs> he had a job at that design firm. Quantum graphics. Yeah, he was working. Uh, for the record, I, I love the fact that your first job was a design firm called Quantum Graphics. <laughs> That's spelled with a G-R-A-F-I-X, uh, by the way. He was always good with money. So I didn't think that much of it. And back then, a phone line cost, what, 20 bucks a month? That sounds right. Yeah, but I mean, you didn't notice anything strange? You know, no clues, maybe, that your son was slinging porn from the tree lines suburbs? <laughs> well, first of all, there's nothing strange about porn and teenage boys. So, <laughs> no, there wasn't anything out of the ordinary. But what's ordinary anyway? Yeah. Both of you were weird. <laughs> should either of you ever parent a teenage boy, you'll understand. It was like a war zone. I saw some shit, man. Things you can't unsee. <laughs> that might have to be a separate separate episode of the pod. <laughs> Ma, I think you had two main concerns, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, me getting a girl pregnant and drugs. Well... You seem terrified at the prospect of getting anyone pregnant, so I felt okay about that one. Now, you're never 100% sure, but I thought it would <laughs> right. be all right, that you wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. And all of your friends were into, um, what's it called, um, straight edge, right? Yep. Which I admit seemed like it might be an elaborate story you had put together. Sure. But you had enough documentation to back that up. That first chain of strength, seven inch, was was pretty uh, pretty convincing. True till death, a, a classic. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine that you two would drop out of high school. That's what I should have been looking out for. Yeah, yeah I don't think anyone saw that coming. Like n not even the two of us. I don't want to talk about that, though. <laughs> I can't think about that time without being pissed off at you both. But look, you've turned out fine. But what a couple of worrisome teenagers. <laughs> sure, this is, this is why you're on the pod. You're such a star. Worrisome. You're, yeah, worrisome. Such a star. <laughs> this this will not be edited out. I can I can tell you that for sure. But we, we need to keep it moving. Um, num number two. When did you find out about Jay's teenage spam career, and, and then what was your reaction? Mm. Jay, when did you tell me? I, I honestly don't remember. 
You know what? I, I think you told me sometime after living in New York a while, once you had a job and were making money, it seemed like you started sharing all sorts of classified information with me. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> hey, Jay's whole thing as a kid was he would not lie to your face. But if you didn't ask the right question, he wouldn't offer any incriminating evidence. <laughs> he was a literal responder, <laughs> holding to the letter of the law, answering only the required minimum to be in truth. That's my policy. Yeah, yeah that, that's true. I, I didn't find out about his spamming career until he was already out of the game. Really? When did he tell you? I mean, it didn't take that long. Uh, I, I think I just got out of him one day. Uh, suddenly, dude had more money than I could figure out. You know, beyond the computers, he shows up at band practice one day with a, a giant guitar amp that had to be at least a thousand bucks. More, dude. <laughs> May, like maybe two grand with the the cabinet pedals and all the you know the trinkets I got. Mom never saw that, though. Like, I, I toted that straight from Guitar Center to the practice space. See, he wouldn't lie to your face about it, but you knew what questions to ask. Sherry, are you saying that the parenting lesson is to always ask the right questions? And follow the money. <laughs> follow the money. Get those tax returns and see what's going on. <laughs> Jay, how much were you making at Quantum Graphics back then? Uh, I think six fifty an hour. <laughs> How much money did you make that summer with the spam? I think it was about five thousand dollars. Hmm. So you you were working every day at Quantum, six fifty an hour. Right. Let's say forty hours a week. I think you might have worked more hours some weeks, but anyway, summers were almost a full three months back then, plus your five thousand. She's got her calculator going. I can feel it. She keeps a calculator by her desk. Of course. of course. Of course I have a calculator. I'm a retired teacher. By my math, you made about 2800 at your design job and 5000 spamming. That's a pretty good haul for just one summer at age 16. Oh, no question. When your teenage son wants to handle his own taxes at 16, be very concerned. <laughs> I... I'm loving this parenting advice. This is bonus content. That truly, <laughs> truly might have to be a separate pod. Oh, for that one, you two will have to pay me. See, that's where he gets it. <laughs> Always ready to make a deal. <laughs> nah, that's his dad, I assure you. <laughs> okay, okay, sure. Uh, one, one last question, uh, then we'll let you get back to your painting. Okay. What do you think of stories like this now? Is it, is it embarrassing? Embarrassing how? Uh, like, will, will you cringe listening to this episode? Now, if you can't laugh at this shit 20 years later, nothing bad happened. I mean, Jay didn't get caught. Didn't get caught? Well, he didn't. Everybody <laughs> rides the line when it comes to behaving in this world. When you're a kid, you want to ride the line. See what you can get away with. What they did, sell computer porn using email passwords from people foolish enough to hand them over. That's right. That's right. Tell him, Ma. Oh, you two are really amazing. <laughs> Am I proud he was spamming people? No. If he had explained it to me at the time, I'm not sure I would have understood anyway. The fact that it was porn? I mean, whatever. <laughs> I mean, come on now. You, you wouldn't have been proud of a, a porn-pushing son. That would have been a disappointment. I always figured you'd do something more interesting with your life. And you did. But back to Chris's question, 
as a parent, you have to appreciate when your kid can handle his own business. Yeah. Jay handled it all without getting arrested or turning into a career criminal. <laughs> so I have no complaints. Well, except for both of you dropping out of high school. <laughs> but you've both figured out interesting, law-abiding lives in New York City. I assume they're law-abiding. <laughs> now, the whole thing is just a good story at parties. And who doesn't like a good story? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cher. Again, uh, you're, you're a star. I knew you'd deliver, Mom. Many, many things. Oh, anytime. I'm just tickled you wanted to hear my thoughts on this. I'm so tired of getting nowhere, saying my prayers, going on answer. I guess the Lord must be in New York City. You've been listening to Public Announcement. I'm James Ellis. And I'm Chris Black. We'd like to thank John Roman for coming on the show and, and spilling secrets. He didn't have to do that, so so thank you. We both know that barely scratches the surface. Uh, that, that was light work for your boy. True. Uh, we didn't even get into his professional gambling career. Ooh, uh, and thanks to Cher Ellis for providing her uh, highly valued parenting perspective. As always, this week's show was produced and edited by Jim Nicholas with special music supervision by the god, Chris Black. Look at your boy coming at you with the fire programming. I guess the Lord must be in New York City. I'm so tired of getting nowhere, seeing my prayers going on Before you go, what was it you were signaling again? I could have sworn it was refrigerators. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I may have um, stumbled upon a few things in those years, uh, but, but never a refrigerator. Uh, I'm glad you think so highly of me, though. Well, whatever. I've been telling people it was refrigerators for years. Uh, no need to correct them now. Oh, I, I agree 100%. But come on. What was it really? I mean, okay, okay, okay. I would go to grab as many it's like it fit in the cart and just walk out the door is that how it's done it is